Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everyone, J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer joining you today on today's Baseball America Facebook Live and podcast, which as always is brought to you by Baseballism, which Baseballism's blowing up. I mean, you know, the, uh, the 6432 shirt that I am uh, sporting right here was uh, prominent on ESPN last night in the uh, broadcast, but we do want to remind you, we thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast and Facebook Live broadcast. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you shop Baseballism.com right now, you can receive 20% off. Visit Baseballism.com and enter code BA2017 to receive free shipping on your next order. So, for Kyle, I'm JJ. We're talking prospects today. We're talking trade deadline. And we'll start with prospects because we... It's a labor of love. We, we rolled out the top 100 last week, uh, right in time, because we've already had one of the top five prospects in baseball change hands since then, uh, with the White Sox acquiring Eloy Jimenez. And now today we started by rolling out our, our top 10s, our midseason top 10s, which if you're a Baseball America subscriber, you probably have hopefully already seen some of these. But it's more than just a 10. We do an overview of kind of a trade deadline preview, is the team a buyer, are they a seller, if they're a seller, what could they sell, if they're a buyer, what do they need, top 10 prospects, then we do rising, falling, graduating, and hurting, so updates beyond the 10 on guys who've done a good job of, of increasing their value, guys who values dropped off, all that. And it's also important, I think when we release our top 100 prospects, a lot of people say, well why? And now if you can check out the top 10s, you can see the detailed reports of Here's why these guys are moving. Here's why these guys are falling. It's a lot of updated information on what these guys have done. Because a lot of these guys have jumped to new levels from last year in the handbook. There's new information, new eyes on them, new challenges. So you'll find out how they've done. We also have injury information top to bottom for a lot of minor league injuries that haven't been reported out there. I highly suggest checking out the midseason top tens because that's the information that clubs are currently going to use when they're making their trades. It's not what was the case six months to a year ago for the most part. And, and it is one of the things that we talk about when we hear, you know, well, why did you move so-and-so down? Why did you move so-and-so up? The midseason list, by its nature, is the most volatile of all of the rankings that we do. And the reason for that is, is that a lot can change pretty quickly. It's, they're still during the season. Players are building their actual resume. They're on the field resume week by week, week by week. And so on one hand... A guy who seems to have it all figured out come, you know, May can go to a new level and go, we're, we're seeing some things exposed. On the other hand, a guy who really struggles in the first half can start to turn it around. Looking at you, J.P. Crawford, who, when you say struggle in the first half, J.P. Crawford has struggled for over a year. But to his credit, in the last two weeks, since he got his little uh, siesta to kind of clear his mind, J.P. Crawford has five homers, I believe, since then, which is more than he had 
I believe, in the past year before that. So, and so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, look, there's going to be change, and that's the beauty of you know prospects. Is it's a con they're constantly developing. There's constantly guys popping up, guys who are falling off, and you know that's what these midseason top tens really are able to help everyone do. Give you that snapshot of right now across the industry, who's being seen as someone that's getting better, who's being seen as someone who's getting worse. And of course, a lot of these guys are now in new levels. We see a lot of promotions right around July at the various, uh, both the Major League All-Star break and the various Minor League All-Star breaks. So a lot of these guys are getting their first taste of, okay, they were good enough to handle high A. Let's see how they do in double A, which is by a lot of accounts, the single most difficult jump in Minor League Baseball. And it's kind of fun to see. So we'll see how everything shakes out, but for the latest and all the most up-to-date information, check out the midseason top tens that are rolling out this week. And it's funny, we've already got a lot of questions. Uh, Russ Dodd, I put the hat on because Russ Dodd asked, where do you get one of these hats? Baseballism, baseballism.com. Actually, uh, the other baseballism story I was going to share is this. Last couple of nights ago, I'm running into Chipotle, the unofficial uh, food brand of, base of minor league baseball, and a guy coming out wearing a baseballism shirt, and I'm thinking, okay, that makes sense. Baseball, Chipotle, all that. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we already have a number of questions we're going to dive into, which uh, Carl Meyer asks, will the Red Sox upgrade third base without selling the farm? Define selling the farm. I, mean, I was going to say, they're going to sell the farm if they're upgrading at third base. Look, it's something where Dave Dombrowski has shown a complete willingness to trade big-time prospects for when he feels like he's getting frontline talent. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different general managers have different tendencies. We know this is one GM who has that tendency. Hey, that Chris Sale trade's working out right now. And by the way, so is the Drew Pomeranz, Anderson Espinosa. For the purposes of helping them win right now, it's working out okay. It's something where for a Dave Dombrowski, I think it wouldn't be a surprise. Now, are they going to sell every single one of their top four prospects in one deal? Probably not, because I don't think Nolan Arenado's on the move. And if you're going to go get Todd Frazier, you're probably not going to pay that high of a price. But look, to get talent you have to give up talent. Mm -hmm. And that's something where people, then, every trade deadline then, seems to kind of forget. let me explain something on that. That is something that every fan-tweeted trade proposal ever is starts, I should say everyone, 99.9% .9 of them start with, how can I trade off these guys who I don't mind if my team loses to get the guy that I want? And that's not usually how trades work. And especially now, I, I, this is the time of year, there's a lot of, fan proposals on Twitter. And there are some very informed fans out there. A lot of what I'm seeing, you just shake your heads. And there's always kind of some funny reactions when we put them to GMs and you just get a lot of chuckles. So, so let's, let's, let's put it this way. Okay, Sean, we already got some trade proposals. Got a couple of Mariners questions. So right up your alley. Uh, Kyle just did our Mariners top 10, which will be up. Uh, Wait, to, to circle back, I don't think we'll see Dave Dombrowski sell the farm, sell individuals who are talented to upgrade. Yes. I don't think Raphael Devers is being traded, I guess, was the only thing I would say. I never say never. It would shock me. Yeah, but, uh, but okay, if you're the Mariners, don't you have to offer Kyle Lewis, Tyler O'Neill, Evan White, and Brian Hernandez for Sonny Gray and Yonder Alonso? I think you would. You could offer that. You could offer. I don't think that gets I, that, it done. That doesn't get that it done. Get it done. No, and, that's, and that's something, you know, people also seem to need to really understand. Every team thinks their prospects are better than the rest of the industry. Right now, that package wouldn't come close to Sonny Gray alone, considering right. Kyle Lewis is hurt, Tad O'Neill is struggling, Brian Hernandez is in short season. And Evan White technically would be the player to be named because it's too soon for him to be traded. I mean, the front-line guy like Sonny Gray, that's going to cost, you talk about the Brewers who are interested. 
They're talking about guys who are in full season ball, were high draft picks, have demonstrated track records. You're not going to get that for high risk, low level guys. You're just not. Uh, Jeff Sansbury asks, uh, how much value have Ben Gamble and Mitch Hanniger gained recently? They've absolutely gained value. You know, Mitch Hanniger was already valuable. We saw that. You know, he was part of a big trade and a key component of it. He's stepped up. Injury aside, he's shown he is an everyday caliber right fielder in the major leagues. Ben Gamble, the dude's a gamer, and people keep saying, well, I don't know how much value he'll bring back. Or He is performing at an extraordinarily high level, playing in a pitcher's park, in the American League while playing great defense. And we see every year, I think when you consider what the Mariners gave up to get him, they could probably flip him and gain more value oh, back. Yeah. At the same time... He's, he's worth more now than he was when they got him. At the same time, if you're the Mariners, you're a game and a half back with a wild card. As much as everything has gone wrong, are you really going to sell your two starting corner outfielders who are performing and controllable under contract? Probably not, unless you're getting that true ace. Now... If and they're not going to get that ace for that. So, again, it's, it goes back to, yes, their value's gone up, they have some decent prospects, and maybe they can go get a pitcher, but at the cost of what we see these frontline guys, even though Sonny Gray is not at the level of Chris Sale, again, you compare, say, a Mitch Hanniger and two prospects for what the Brewers can offer, it doesn't match it. Okay, well, let's just keep rolling along. There's a lot of uh, good questions here. So... Uh... We have Jeff Martin asking, what's up with Anderson Espinosa? See no news on his injuries since April. It's in the midseason prospect update, but we'll give you a quick teaser. He is playing catch in Arizona. He's up to 100, 120 feet. Right now, there's no set timetable for his return. That was the most recent info we got uh, last week. But there's a cautious, cautious optimism. Maybe no more setbacks. You can see him get on a mound end of July, early August, but the Padres are playing this one very, very carefully as they should. He's been shut down before. He's a smaller body guy. There are already concerns about the durability. He had some elbow issues back before he signed with the Red Sox. I think it's very realistic he doesn't get on a mound this year, but we could see it. But I, 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 would, I would say, like, for some reason, I just think it's a lot of times what ends up happening is, is oh, we threw an instructs. That's, 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 I mean, not, not that, you know, it's... And, and there's an argument to mid for it. If he's only up to 100 to 120 feet still by July 31, are you really going to ramp him up super quick to give him a start or two in Lake Elsinore before the season ends? There's not a right. whole that's lot of logic Right, that's the thing is, is that, yeah, and again, if you wanted to then send him to the AFL, even you can. So anyway, that's the overall point. But he's still in the nascent stages of let's just build that arm strength, throw, play catch at elongated distances, and try and get back. But he's not, you know, uh, game situations on the mound, again, there's no set timetable. There's really a cautious, cautious approach being employed here. Uh, Ron Lieb asks, do we think that Acuna, the way he's going through the minors, will be up in September? I, logically, I would say no. I'm going to take this one. Like, logically, I would say no. The reason being... The Braves, you, you put them on the 40-man there. What benefit do you get? Because I don't think the Braves are really – I know that they're kind of in it. I don't see them as a playoff team right now. Now, if we get to September 1 and they're not eight games back, well, then that could change the entire dynamic. I just don't see – again, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I just don't see the massive advantage of bringing him up, putting him on the 40-man, which you would not have to do – Let's say even he competed in spring training for a starting job next year. 
you still would not be talking about, you would be putting them on the 40 man at the start of April, not this off season. To me, there's an advantage in that, especially in a very deep organization. And as good as he is, you have to remember, it's still limited at bats. A lot of times people get very excited about, oh, this guy's killing it in double A. The gap between double A and the majors is enormous. And now he's at triple A, there's gonna be some adjustments. He can probably handle it. But at the end of the day, we saw it last year. Oh, Yohan Moncada's gonna come up. He's gonna come up. He came up and he wasn't ready. So I think with the uh, Cunha, I will say though, the he thing looks with, great. But there, no, 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 no. no. What I'm saying is, is that the Braves are an organization though that they're aggressive. There's no historically sees less value in extra AAA at bats than say, I mean, than some other organizations. And, and that's consideration. So the short answer, I think we agree, is it's possible, especially with this Braves organization. I would not expect it. I mean, again, I also didn't expect that we would be uh, planning road trips to Danville to see Kevin Maitan this quickly, which, yay. Um, okay, we've got a lot of Dodgers questions also. We're just rolling through these. Uh, David DeLeon. De that became a Q&A session. Yeah, David DeLeon uh, asked, what do you believe is the best fit for the Dodgers and what's a realistic trade they might do? See, the beautiful thing about the Dodgers is they can pull off any trade they want. Okay, we, let's, let's stop for your, let's pin in that for a second. Who are the organizations that we think basically can do, like, they may not decide to pay the price. The Dodgers, the Astros, the Brewers. Those are the three that jump out at me right away. The Yankees. I would I say the Yankees fit in that too. I do, absolutely. So I, I think those right away are the ones that jump off at me. So the Dodgers right now, if they can add that big right-handed starter you can plug in behind Clayton Kershaw, that's beautiful. And I think that's where you'll see Sonny Gray. If the Rangers fall out of it, you can see you Darvish in play. For me right now, if I'm the Dodgers, I'm looking at that right-handed starter that I can plug in behind Clayton Kershaw with some power. Maybe it's Garrett Cole. And yes, they have the pieces to do it. Now, you're going to have to give him up. The Dodgers have said, oh, we're not going to give up Alex Verdugo. I think Alex Verdugo is an extremely tradable asset for the Dodgers because map out for me, where is Alex Verdugo playing in the next two years. And it depends, again, if you believe he's the better left fielder than Andrew Tolles will be when he comes back. But at the end of the day, when you're talking oh, yeah, about... Oh, by the way, but you could you have Tolles, and if you believe that Willie Calhoun, Verdugo's going to be better defensively, but if you believe that Willie Calhoun is playable on left, you have another option there as well. So Who does not have as much trade value for as me, Alex Verdugo. Look, would Verdugo, some kind of Alex Verdugo, Yadier Alvarez, one of their catchers, Will Smith, Kyber Ruiz, it's complicated a little bit because Will Smith took a pitch off his hand, broke his hand, he's out till the end of August. That complicates it, but you know, you have tools the outfielder at the lower level like Yusnel Diaz. You could even go into that fourth guy bucket with DJ Peters or even Dal Isabel or big power Edwin prospects. Diaz. So Edwin Rios. Edwin Rios, yes. Yeah, so to me, you're going to have to give up frontline guys if that's Alex Verdugo and Yadier Alvarez and then pick from a... You know, maybe it's a Trevor Oaks, Brock Stewart duo, or an Edwin Rios, DJ Peters duo. If you want to get an elevated guy, you probably have to give up someone better, like a Usnail Diaz. But that's going to be the price for you. Talk about these frontline guys, these Garrett Coles, these Sonny Grays, potentially you Darvishes. You're going to have to give up two top 50 prospects and probably one or two other guys who are legitimate as well. Okay, we're just rolling along. This one fits into something that you wanted to talk about. Andrew Rhodes asks, got an Angels question. Jordan Adele is killing it. Mm -hmm. How many at-bats does it take for a player to answer the can he actually hit professional pitching question? 
not until they get into full season ball, and generally speaking, not until they get into high A. And here's why. Because at low A, you're still seeing guys who will throw 80 pitches and 69 of them are fastballs. Low A fastball command has not developed yet. That's what 90% of the pitchers are working on. You'll and see they the, usually don't have a second pitch that they can consistently land. Right. High A is the first level where you have pitchers with some semblance of fastball command, at least one secondary pitch they can throw for strikes. That's where you start to see the makings of, okay, can this guy... Uh, does he have the ability to adjust off-speed stuff? Does he have pitch recognition? Can he hit not just the fastball that's left out over the plate, but the fastball that the pitcher put it where he wanted, but he was able to get his hands out, manipulate the barrel, take it the other way, or pull it inside? So Jordan Adele, everything you want to see from a guy in the AZL, he's doing it. But until a guy is able to show in high A, he can hit and hit and hit all different types of pitching and pitchers and pitches, that's when you know it's a little and, bit for real. And the flip side is is that, and this has been consistent for me for two decades now, um, when you see a guy struggle in the GCL or the AZL, I'm not saying I don't care. I don't am panic. saying I care very, very, very little. The reason being is that those leagues, by their very nature, you're talking about guys getting used to pro ball, especially high school guys and players from Latin America, for whom simply the adjustment to being a professional, and let's be honest, complex leagues are a little different when it comes to professional. It's not the road trips, it's not living in an apartment on your own, all that, it's, it's more a hotel type, all, but there's a lot of adjustment there. In both situations, there's adjustment to the climate because you're either gonna get- Arizona in July, have fun. I mean, it's literally don't put your hand on metal surfaces, you may burn them. And then in Florida, you have Wow, I feel like I can see the, the air in front of me and I feel like that I could actually I feel to myself move. melting. Yes. So you have all that and you have this incredibly long history of guys being terrible in the G GCL or the AZL and then you turn around and the next year they're fine. And Carlos can, Correa on line one? Carlos Correa, Derek Jeter, Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones. We could go on and on and on. So that is the first year Guy has a good year, it's encouraging. Awesome. Not but, to take anything away from a guy who has yeah. a good year, it's just generally speaking, it's good not to get too high or too low based on AZL, GCL stats or extended spring training reports. Mm -hmm. Always very, very, you know, it's better to have good than bad, but don't freak out either way. Michael Metheringham asks, do you think a Tehran and Swanson package would net anything of value? Yes, it would. If you're the Braves and you trade Dansby Swanson right now, though, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I know Braves fans are a little frustrated with him and his, his rough first half of the season here, but at the same time, why trade when your shortstop of the future value has decreased? Like, again, you could still get a good bit for him, but it would be that this is... Selling, this is selling, selling your low, stock. Selling low is never a good idea. And it kind of and that's true of veterans, that's true of rookies. It even goes back to Andrew McCutcheon last year where everyone's like, oh my God, this is it. This is the decline. It started. And guess what? He's come out and he's absolutely raked. And it's one of those things where all of a sudden, 2016 looks like a blip, not a, oh gosh, the best is over. He's completely done. And that's even the same thing with the young players sometimes. Look at Gene Segura, for example, right? Guy who comes up, has does really well has a bad year, gets traded for, you know, I still got something in return, but at the end of the day, he's a really good player, one of the better shortstops in the big leagues in his mid-20s, and he's been flipped how many times? 
And some of Multiple it, and some of it, you know, once it was to get Zach Granke, a true ace, and the Angels and, made a bet. But then I was gonna say, but you know, it, he's been traded for value at least on both. Right. Days. So, but going going back to it, at the end of the day, you know, selling low on a guy who you know has promise and has just had a bad first half of his full rookie season, it's it's not a smart move. Period. Yeah. No. I again, Tehran trading Tehran, I could see that. But even in that case. You are selling somewhat low. Tehran gets value, but that's that's trading Sonny Gray last year, not this year, which in hindsight would have been a, a, a bad call. Absolutely. Unless you could get the price last year that Sonny Gray on the mound was not showing you the value for. Uh, we'll just keep rolling on because we've got a lot of good questions. Thanks, Insane. everyone. I love it. We're just rolling on. Trade deadline. Q&A, so here we go. Jay Corbett asks, I'm going to take this one. Are the Cubs going to make another move? Absolutely. I will be stunned if the Cubs don't do something else. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be another Quintana-esque move, partly because they traded away the guys that they could do to do that. They traded away their top 100 prospects. The top prospects remaining in the Cubs organization are... Victor Caratini. Victor Caratini, Albert, Azalea. They're they're guys who are guys, but they're not going to get you the same value, for one. They're, They're lesser prospects. Really, the, the, the thing that the Cubs also have to decide is, is that if the Cubs wanted to make a big impact move, another one, they already have done one, but they want to do another one, the other thing they could choose is, do you trade someone young and cost-controlled from the big league and roster? That's, and that's where the Cubs, if they do make a move, they're going to have to. Cause I don't say have to, because they could make... You could they make, can make a move, but an impact move, you know... But, it's but then do you, you know, do you want, like... Are, are Victor Caratini and Adbert Azale and Oscar you know, are, De La Cruz are they, they going to bring back big dogs? And the answer is probably not. But they, then the question is, is, sure. Do they need another big dog trade? And that's the thing. They probably not. It depends on how much you believe and the hitters finally coming around. And I think a lot of people believe they eventually will. Better late than never. And they're still in it. As much as the Brewers are in first place, they haven't been running away with it. Um. Rick Rolfes asks, when the Mets open up shortstop for Rosario, how good is he going to be? Which, Ahmed Rosario, one of the top prospects in the game. I believe we have him three, I think. Three or four. And it's uh, a, he's going to be a standout shortstop who makes a bunch of all-star games. He will, make, stud, he will make the Mets better. Um, at the same time, really what it is is they've got a lot of guys that they have to clear out. Number four. Number four on our... So, uh, the, it, you're right. The Mets, it is a little bit curious why they haven't opened up shop. Lucas Duda, Jay Bruce. Not that you could get a whole lot for Jose Reyes. Although he's played much better the last month, as Matt Eddy pointed out. He's actually hit about 321 playing shortstop the last month or so. But at this point, the Mets have a lot of older veteran guys who would be good to move. You could get, Jay Bruce has had a really nice year. They could absolutely get more for him than they gave away last year. Lucas Duda is still a first baseman, able to put up an 850 OPS, hitting left-handed. He, he's, he is right now the best first baseman in New York. This is very, very true. That's a very easy standard to clear. You know, yes. but so Jay I, Bruce is the second best first baseman in New York. I'll right? make at... You know, talking to the scouts who see him in Vegas, he's ready. He's going to come up. He'll have some struggles, but there's very little doubt. You talk about a guy who has the ability to play shortstop, everything you want to see. High floor player. The range, the instincts, the arm, good bat-to-ball skills. You know, whether the power ends up being more 12 home run power or 20 home run power isn't going to mean he's not a hugely valuable player that a lot of teams would like to have. There's an expectation this guy's going to be one of the best shortstops in the game for quite some time, and he hasn't shown or done anything for people to doubt that. 
Uh, we'll just keep rolling along. I like this question from Matt Hickman. What kind of value does Colin Moran have? And the answer is a lot more than he had. We talk about selling low or selling high. It's interesting, Colin Moran, the, the Astros have a pair of third basemen, AAA and AA, Colin Moran, J.D. Davis, both of whom are back at the level they were at last year, both of whom, to their credit, have done better than they did last year. In Davis's case, he had a really good year in the Texas League last year, is only back because they have a third baseman above him, Moran. Moran's completely retooled his swing. He is now getting to the power that's always been in there but has never been apparent in the big, in the, uh, is, since he became a pro. And I don't think he's a guy who's gonna net you a ton in a trade, but he has become something where if I'm a pro scout and I'm out there, he's the perfect, if I could get him as the number three guy in a trade, but I'll probably have to get him as the number two guy in a trade now, but he's the perfect guy he's a, where you say, okay, he might not be a first baseman, he'll play some third. He's always had the strike zone awareness, bat on ball skills, but this year he's a guy who looks like a 25 home run guy again, not the guy who hits six to 10. It's a big difference for a guy whose value should be in the power. He's a big guy, doesn't run very well. He has value now. And that's the thing is, is that, again, that's where the Astros to me, we haven't seen the Astros, what moves they're gonna make. But when you look at that farm system and they've you- They've got the guys up top and they've got those second level guys who a lot of times do make a difference in whether or not you complete the deal. Because again, I would say right now, the Astros, if you said, okay, who are the guys who qualify as first level guys in the trade? They have, you know, Martez, who's dropped off a little bit this year, but still, but Martez, they have Forrest Whitley, they Frank have Franklin Perez, Perez, Kyle Tucker, Kyle Tucker, they have Derek Fisher. Those are guys, again, different levels depending on what you're going for, but those are guys where you're throwing those names out, the other GM's not hanging up the phone, and then you go to that next level, and they've got a lot of those guys too. And again, Colin Moran at best last year to me would have been in that third level. Like if you're making a deal, you don't want him to be the second guy in that deal. Now maybe he's the second guy. But again, they also but they could and they could trade him because they've got Alex Bregman playing third base. It's not like you know he's young and cost control. You look at their outfield, and they have Tucker, Fisher, and Hernandez, Tasker Hernandez who are in double A and above. And then when you talk about those third or fourth pieces in a trade, then they got guys like Miles Straw and Jason Martin and guys like that in the outfield as well. Miles Straw is gonna be a big leaguer of some sort. I don't know what you know whether it's gonna be a starter or not, but I'll be shocked if he doesn't have a big league career of some sort. And he's a guy who they can easily trade as a third, fourth piece because not all of them are gonna fit in their big, you know, they are young and cost controlled already they have one job coming open next year in the lineup, which is probably left field. That's it. And they've got all these guys who are in the upper levels. They're in good position to trade. Uh, Jeff Sansbury says, Cubs window is closed. Too many career years on that last year's team. No, Jeff, uh, disagree. Uh, just moving along. It's incredibly hard to repeat. People always seem to forget that, and especially for pitchers where they're going so deep into postseasons, there's always going to be a drop-off. The Cubs are fine. They'll be fine. Even if and they don't paying, win this year, they'll be fine. They're paying a pitching tax from winning it last year. And what I mean by that is, is all those guys pitched so deep into October, they got they aren't as good this year. And I do believe part of that is, is oh, it, absolutely. it wears you out. No question. You know, Aurora Chapman's paying that tax. He's just paying it in New York, not in Chicago. That's that's just kind of one of the things that happens. By the way, I like it. Paul, uh, 
Vice, I believe, I-V-I-C-E. Uh, Dom Smith may, may be in Las Vegas, but he's still the best first baseman in New York. Okay. At least in the Heat, I'll say this. He's better than anyone the Yankees have right now. There's no question about that. That's actually probably true, yes. And nothing against Garrett Cooper. It's just true. Nothing. Hey, uh, I'll take the... Having watched G-Man Choi and having watched Dominic Smith, Dominic Smith is better than G-Man Choi, period. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, Howie Dittman asks, what kind of infield, especially third base options, might there be for the Pirates if they buy since Gong apparently won't be back? And I think it is fair to say Jung Ho Gong, yeah. they've already ruled out that he's not going back, not just this year, but we don't really have a reason why next year that will all clear up. It's a problematic situation, and you know, even at the uh, at the All Star Game, the commissioners' meeting with the media, he even said that they're in the dark because at this point, it's not a matter of baseball; it's a matter of international law and how the U.S. Immigration's office deals with. You this know, is outside of MLB's I mean, control. This, this has nothing to do with baseball, and frankly, there's not a whole lot they can do about it. Um, yeah, I, I think. But when you say who could they look for? See, the Pirates, to me, they're in that... I've been writing the Pirates midseason. They'll go up tomorrow, the midseason, their midseason top ten. And the weird thing with it is is they're in this weird netherworld where this team is not as good. I mean, like, when you say, like, with the Cubs, they all career years, all that. The Pirates had a natural progression where they kept moving up, kept moving up. They got to 98 wins. And last year it was kind of... They started going on the other side of that. And this year is a, I would say, natural progression from that. It's hard for me. I understand everyone's kind of on that periphery of being in it. Especially in the National League Central, where, again, the Brewers are in first place. They've done a fantastic job, but they're not pulling away. The Pirates are seven back in the Central, and they're eight back in the wild card race. And That's not, that, to and me... They're not a third base upgrade from all of a sudden going on a run and doing I, the whole I, thing. I look at the Pirates, and I think that they're going to do much what they did last year, which is is they may make moves, and they may make they may make moves that would seem like that they're almost in opposition to each other. They will make a move to help this year's team with a guy who's going to be around for a long for a couple more years at least. But at the same time, they also may trade a guy from this year's team if it's, some, if it's someone who they don't have a lot of guys expiring contracts. I mean, even McCutcheon. We talked about McCutcheon. There's a team option on that deal. But I, I do think that they could also make a move, though, if they said, hey, if we trade this guy, we can help our 2018 team and beyond so, better. They so still will make that short move. Short answer, you know Escobar's a guy we're talking about. That's you know, a third baseman on the market from a team that you know, is primed to sell. And is that, again, is you know Escobar going to be the guy who elevates you from bottom tier to top tier? Probably not. I mean, they could go pay for Todd Frazier, but they'd pay a premium with an interdivision trade. And, or, excuse me, Frazier on the White Sox. It's not relevant anymore. I apologize. Um, old habits die hard. Yeah. But nonetheless, the point is, you know, is that a move that, again, is going to elevate the Pirates to the top of the NL Central? And the answer is probably not. Alan Moody, what do the Texas Rangers need to do to get some pitching? Um, go to the offseason, sign Shohei Natami, who, you know, we don't know will be posted, but there's, again, the talk is, is Otani's going to be posted. I don't understand why. Like, the amount of money, I know he wants to play in majors. The amount of money he gives up by coming over now, to me, makes it illogical for him to come over. But that doesn't mean it won't, won't happen. I mean, the Rangers, look, if they wanted to package Leody Tavares with Ariel Jurado, you know, and get someone, they could. But at the same time, once again, 
with the Rangers given everything, <laughs> the pitching is, I mean. They are getting, 16 and a half back in their division. Now, admittedly. But everyone's in the American the wild card. Everyone's in the wild card. Two and a half out in the wild card. I mean, but, look, Andrew Kashner's actually been an okay signing for them. I think his ERA is around 3-6. I mean, Tyson Ross was a low-cost, you know, acquisition. He's, I think overall, again, you look at the Rangers and say, okay, we've got these two frontline guys. We've got a decent core of a, of a lineup, but the bullpen's been a problem. Sam Dyson got DFA'd, obviously. And that back end of the rotation, I, look, could they get someone for Tavares and Gerardo? Yes. Yeah. Is that... So that know, makes no sense to do. Right. It's not the move for them that, you know, oh, hey, we make this this move. We get this one guy, and we're set to run through this postseason and potentially into the next one as well. I, we'll see. I, I do not, again, never say never. Bigger surprises have happened at the deadline, but I think about teams lining up to get the top flight pitching pitchers available. The Rangers can't match what the Dodgers, what the what the uh, Dodgers, what the Brewers can ma- can can bring up. They just can't. Brad uh, Brogman uh, asks, "What's the likelihood that Detroit trades Martinez, JD Martinez, uh, Justin Wilson, and Alex Avila, and really upgrade the farm system?" I think it's possible. You know, one of the things with Detroit, and it's just it's it's a sad case. They really tried to win for Mike Illich. Unfortunately, it didn't happen before he passed away, and. Now they can say, okay, you know, now we don't have this this driving force. We're just going to acquire, acquire, acquire. It's been talked about a lot. There's a lot of contracts they can't move, but for the ones that can, have- Justin Wilson and J.D. Martinez will bring you back valuable young players, and you know, maybe something. I, I would not be surprised to see the Tigers add, you know, two or three decent guys to help boost their system if they make those moves. No doubt. They're eight games under 500 right now. They are uh, a team that. It seems illogical that they won't make some moves. And again, now the interesting thing is, is you could do, they could go a couple different ways with that. One way is you trade those guys, you get a lot of prospects. The other way, kind of hope for if you're a Tigers fan, that's what they do. The other option is, is you trade those guys, and for every good guy you get, you get one contract too. So it's interesting. A lot's been written about Justin Verlander and how, oh, you can't trade him because his contract. There's one team that can do it. Her name is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, 75 million? Not a problem. We got that. Again, not saying the Dodgers will do it, but when I think people assess, oh, you know, he's you know, he's not what he but, was. But when you say that, there. why would they do it? And that's and that's the thing. I'm not saying they would or they should, but I'm saying I'm, they probably couldn't say, you know what, we think they, we get this power right hander with postseason experience, get him into the national league, we'll see an uptick in performance. But the, 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 I guess the problem I have with that is, is I don't know. I mean, you're asking, but I'm not confident he's in their playoff rotation. Justin Verlander? Mm-hmm. I would disagree with that. He's Justin Verlander. They'll put him in there. I mean, I know you'll put him in there, but I He'll don't, put you know. Him in there. But again, you know, at the cost of acquiring him and his contract, you'd probably rather go get Sonny Gray or Garrett Cole. So again, it's not like it's a first choice, but talk about teams who could do that. There's one. Uh, Elizabeth Martinez, is Boston planning keeping Devers and Chavis or trading them? I, I do think that uh, Mike, you know, obviously we talked about Devers a little bit earlier, but Michael Chavis, who's had a really good year, bounce back year, um, and destroyed Salem, uh, the Carolina League in the first half, has come up to Double A and uh, kept hitting home runs in Double A so far uh, in the Eastern League uh, in the second half right now. I don't think you have to keep both of them. I'll put it that way. I mean, again. Devers, to me, is your third baseman of the future. And so that does mean that Michael Chavis, who could play a couple of other positions, the power would play at first base. 
Um, although I really kind of hate to waste that arm over there. But, you know, the, the power with play, that being said, it makes him very uh, tradable in the right deal uh, because... And that's the type of guy that, again, if you say, okay, we're not going to move our number one guy, Rafael Devers, okay, let's move down the list. And, yeah, Chavis is kind of a natural guy a team and, can target. And, yeah, I, and I would hey, not be surprised. The Red Sox system overall right now, understandably, is among the thinnest it's been in a long time because they've traded away Yohan Mankata and Michael Kopech and, you know, they've graduated Andrew Benintendi. And it's, there's a less there right now to trade than there has been for several, several, you have to go back before Mookie Betts was in the system, I'll put it that way. So it's, it is something with that. But man, we still have more questions, but you know, we've rolled through, we try to keep these to a reasonably tight level. So uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up there. We didn't get to really talk prospects much because uh, thank you for all the questions. Uh, we will probably have at least one more podcast this week because something's gonna happen trade-wise. I predict it, something will happen trade-wise. It's that time of year. So we'll probably have another podcast, but we'll be back with our Facebook Live next Tuesday. We wanna thank you to all of our followers for tuning in today's podcast and Facebook Live brought to you by Baseballism. Visit Baseballism for the best apparel in baseball and enter the code BA2017 to receive 20% off your next order. For Kyle Glazer, I'm JJ Cooper. We thank you again for joining us and we'll see you soon. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.